Last week, John P. Charpiot and David T. Harmon escaped from the Florence, Arizona Federal Prison. They were unaccounted for when they had the checkpoint. The investigation determined that they had stole some cutting tools out of the prison tool house and they got a bolt cutter and lineman's pliers. Well, the chase team looked for them. The tracking dogs were sent out. The fugitive ha- apprehension unit was deployed to find the men. They put a perimeter around the prison and, fe- and followed up leads and the roadblocks with car searches were being conducted and the two men were still at large after the prison break. In Acts chapter 12, we have another prison break. Much different cases. The guys that were escaped from Florence, Arizona, were imprisoned for child molestation. But Peter was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Peter didn't need bolt cutters. He didn't need a weapon, a tunnel, or even a rope. He had the saints of God praying for him and an angel of God working for him in Acts chapter 12. Will you follow along as I read verses 1 through 17 about the prison break in Jerusalem? Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread... So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out, followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain That the Lord had sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, She did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. 
But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Father, I want to thank you for this passage of scripture and the story about Peter's escape from prison and how God, you see your servants and your hand is upon them and your protection is there. And the church is praying. And I pray that God, you would help us to learn some powerful lessons from these wonderful passages of Scripture today. In Jesus' name, amen. A prison break. This is not the first time Peter broke out of prison. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 5, he broke out of prison. Here in Acts chapter 12, he's breaking out of prison. And, And Paul and Silas broke out of prison in Acts chapter 16. So there's at least three prison breaks in the book of Acts. I'm going to tell you the story uh, relating it to three different parts here. In verses 1 through 5, we're going to see the persecution and imprisonment. Herod begins a campaign to harass some from the church. He arrested, or he actually had James killed. Now, this Herod is mentioned here is Herod Agrippa I. He was a ruler that was very popular with the Jewish people for because he was partly Jewish and was from the Hasmonean descent. His kingdom covered basically the same area that his grandfather, Herod the Great, covered. Now, if you remember Herod the Great, he was the one that had all the baby boys at Jesus' birth killed because he was trying to eliminate the Messiah. But his grandson is this Herod Agrippa I. He had James, the brother of John, killed, one of the apostles. Now, this uh, James is the son of Zebedee. Remember, they were fishers of men, James and John. That was the James that he had killed. Now, this Herod died in A.D. 44, and he had a son called Herod Agrippa II. And Agrippa II was the one that... Paul stood before this Herod in Acts chapter 25. So Herod began this campaign of persecution. So he had James martyred. This was James, the son of Zebedee, as I said before. And his father had, or he was the one that had John the Baptist beheaded. And so he had James beheaded as well. Now, this was not the normal way of of execution. The normal way for the Jews was stoning, and of course, Romans did crucifixion. But he saw that this beheading pleased the Jews in verse 3. So this government crackdown expanded because it pleased the Jewish people. So he had Peter in prison. Now, If it pleased the Jews when James was killed, just think how much delighted they would be when they got the head man, when they got the leader of the disciples, Peter. So it was a feast day, Passover, and they they had a feast of uh, uh, that that was there at that time. So it wouldn't be good to have Peter executed on a holiday. So they put him in prison for a while, intending later to to bring him out to the people. So. They put this Peter with four quadrillion or 16 soldiers to guard him. Because he remembered that this guy got out of jail before. And 16 soldiers for one guy, he's not going to get out of jail. They had two soldiers 
that were chained to him, one on one side and one on the other side. They had two soldiers at the door and they had other soldiers throughout the prison keeping him secure. Now, as a matter of fact, this, this, this we said is the second break in chapter 5 was the first break. Now, we see that James was executed and you know the story that Peter was released. And you wonder why. I mean, was Peter a better disciple than James? Was God showing more favor on Peter than he was showing on James? After all, both were dedicated servants of God and needed by the church. The only answer to that question is the sovereign will of God. God allowed Herod to kill James, but he kept him from harming Peter. It was the throne in heaven that was in control, not the thrones on the earth. In Hebrews chapter 11, which gives a list of all kinds of people of faith, you go down to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34, and you read this. By faith, some escaped the edge of the sword. Verse 37. By faith, some were killed with the sword. They all were heroes of the faith. We see this theme all through Scripture. God in His sovereignty allows some of His children to suffer and allows some of them to escape suffering. As a matter of fact, you think of Noah. Remember in the days of Noah, God told Noah His secret plan. He told him, Noah, I'm going to destroy all the earth and I want you to do this. I want you to build this ark and I'm going to take you and your family and anybody that wants to go into the ark and all the animals too of every kind and then it will rain and you'll be able to populate the earth. God told Noah what he was doing when he sent the flood. But another one of his servants had another flood. It was a flood of suffering and pain and rejection. His name was Job. And God never told Job what he was doing in his life. Never told him about the conversation that he had with the devil and it was a test. He didn't even tell him about that. He never did tell Job why. That's the way God does. His mysteries are sometimes understandable and sometimes we don't know anything. Herod intended to bring Peter out of jail... Most likely not for a trial, but most likely just for an execution. Herod, the acting leader of the Jews and the government authority, was doing his best to stifle the work of God. But I like what verse 5 says. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but prayer was made. Prayer and deliverance, verses 5 through 19 is the second part of this story. The church was praying for Peter as Herod had him locked up. The word got out to the church and the church was meeting in different places around Jerusalem. But the one uh, on Mary's house, which was the mother of John Mark, that's where they were gathered together, closest to the prison. They were gathered together and they were praying for Peter. Now the text does not tell us that Peter was kept in prison but a business meeting was held by the church to determine what to do. The text doesn't tell us Peter was kept in prison, but a protest march was conducted outside the, the jail cell. It doesn't say that a campaign of slander was launched against the corruption of the Herodian government. And it doesn't even say a spirit of fear crept over the church. No, but prayer was made. Constant, 
intense prayer. God is able to do mighty things through the power of prayer. The church was praying. Peter was sleeping in verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out, the next day, for execution, Peter was sleeping. Can you sleep in prison? I, I don't know. Maybe you've never had that experience. <laughs> but can you sleep when you were going through a terrible trial? But prayer was made, and Peter was sleeping as the executioner was sharpening his axe. He could sleep because God had opened prison doors before, and he knew that God was able. Peter could sleep because the church was praying for him, and God gave him that sweet peace. Can you sleep when you are in a storm, when you're in a hospital bed, when you're in the middle of a horrendous trial? I remember when my kids were little, before I put them to bed, I would always sing them a verse of Scripture. It was Psalm 4.8, I will lay me down in I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for thou Lord only makest me dwell in safety can you sleep in the storm can you be like Peter the next day you got a, 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 an appointment and you don't know what's going to happen but God gives his beloved sleep well Peter was sleeping the church was praying but the angel was delivering in verses 7 through 10. I really love this passage of Scripture. It's, it's really neat. Verse 7, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. Remember that TV show, Touched by an Angel? Remember that? I heard that they're making a sequel based upon verse 7. Kicked by an angel. I don't know how the angel woke him up, but he, but he hit him or he kicked him or something. Get up, Peter. It's time to get out of here. Now, I tell you, it's amazing how uh, God did some miraculous things in this, uh, this deliverance from Peter from prison. He did some things that Peter couldn't do. He was between two soldiers. He was chained, bound up. There was a door that was guarded, and then outside of that, there was an iron gate with other guards that there. It was a supernatural deliverance that only God could have done. God did certain things for Peter. The guards were immobilized. Imagine being chained up to two guards, and every one of those 16 guards couldn't move. They were sleeping, or they were paralyzed, or whatever. They didn't have a clue what was going on. God caused a light to shine in the prison. They didn't get a torch or anything. The angel didn't uh, have his Zippo lighter or anything. They, they, God caused this light to shine. It was supernatural light. Also, he caused those chains just to fall off. Just fall. No key. They just fell off. And the doors and the gate, the iron gate at the, the outside, opened by itself. Amazing. But you know, God didn't do everything for them. He did the things that Peter couldn't do, but Peter had to do some things too. Notice, he had to get up quickly. He had to put on his own clothes. He had to put on his shoes, tie up his sandals. He had to put on his outer cloak. He had to follow the angel, as the angel told him to follow him. And then he, he eventually woke up and, and realized it wasn't a dream, and he had to go to the prayer meeting. You know, God will do for you what you can't do for yourself. Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes. 
Then he told his disciples to pass out the bread. And remember to pick up the leftovers. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Then he told her parents, give her something to eat. Even in miracles, God is always practical. You know, only God can save your neighbor's soul. But you can witness and give him your testimony. Only God can cause your children to follow the Lord. But you can do your best to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Only God can bring revival, but his church can certainly pray for it. There is a cooperation of the miraculous and the activity of God's people. Well, Peter was released, and the believers were surprised. I like this uh, incident in verses 11 through 17, where Peter found the house where they were praying together. The story is that they were gathered together for the purpose of praying that God would release Peter from prison. And he prayed, the church prayed for them. There was a spirit of intercession that was going up. And then Peter knocks on the door and Rhoda, the servant girl of the household, came to the door and heard Peter's voice out there saying, hey guys, I'm here. I'm released. I'm, I'm out there. And she heard his voice and said, it's Peter. So she didn't even unlock the door and let him in. But she ran to the rest of the people who were on their knees. They were praying. Hey, guys, I got a good message. Peter's at the door. He can't be at the door. He's in prison. We're praying for him that he would be released. Duh. They didn't put two and two together. He said, it can't be Peter. It, it must be, she insisted more, and she told the story, it must be his spirit. No, it must be his angel, you know, because they believed in guardian angels even back then, and they believed it must have been his angel. I said, no, but Peter kept banging on the door. Well, there's somebody out there, let's go see. And when they came in, they saw that it was Peter, and Peter gave a testimony of how God, how God, through an angel, led him out of that prison. Oh, what a surprise it must have been to that people. A surprise. You know, we believe, but God help our unbelief. God loves to surprise his people. God loves to bless us. God loves to answer our prayers. God loves to, to help us to do things that we never dreamed of being able to do for his glory. I think of his surprises here in the book of Acts. We see that God surprised them by sending his Holy Spirit and filling them on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He surprised the church by saving the soul of their chief enemy, Saul. Turned him around and caused him to be a force for God's glory. He delivered people from prison. He healed people. He answered prayer. And that same God loves to surprise his people. We never understand how much God wants to use you and me and this church. I'm looking for his surprises. Peter instructed them at the end of his, his thing in verse 17. He motioned them with his hand to keep silent and he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison and said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. James, I thought they just cut his head off. How is he telling him? You know, this is a different James. Peter was the head of the church 
initially. But Peter got busy uh, doing mission trips, going up to Cornelius' house and being uh, kind of a missionary and doing different things. So somehow James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, became the leader of the Jerusalem church. And he is saying, tell James, he needs some good news. He's got the weight He's got the weight of the responsibilities of taking care of the flock of God in Jerusalem with the rest of the apostles in their ministry. He will want to hear this, how God still answers prayer, how God is still. And you and I need to encourage one another with acts of God. Every staff meeting we have on Friday night when Terry and Jim and Peter and Lee and me Peter, not, not Peter anymore. Uh, he used to come, but he's busy now. But we'd gather together, and the first thing we said... Where have you seen God's hand this week in your life or the life of your church? Because God is still active and he wants to encourage the people. Well, we've seen persecution and imprisonment by Herod. We've seen prayer and deliverance by the church. Now the scene goes to verse 20 to 25 where pride and punishment. We, Luke gives us a follow-up on King Herod. Let me read verse 20. To 25. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man, the voice of a God and not a man. Then he immediately, an angel of the Lord, struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Luke is giving us an idea of how God settles the score. You know, sometimes we think that we've got to take action, you know. People get away with all kinds of stuff in this world. But God, one day, is the one who sits as supreme judge and he will right everything that's wrong that we think people got away with. Well, Herod thought he got away with this. But we have the story. Now, the people of Tyre and Sidon depended on the Jews for food. And they had, in some way, got on King Herod's bad side. So in political fashion, they were going to lose his uh, assistance. So what did they do? What did the people do? Well, they knew Blastus. Blastus happened to be the king's chamberlain. He was the one that was in charge of the king's bedchamber. That was a very serious, uh, very high position because if you wanted to kill the king, you'd kill him in his sleep. And so he had, to, he had to protect him just like a wine taster or a food taster. This was an elevated position. So they got with Blastus and said, hey, I'll tell you what. You know, we got some money here, and if, if you take this, will you put in a good word with King Herod to do this? So, well, what, they ha what happened was they had this, um, this public speech that these delegation came, and there was a lot of people there, and he began to speak. The Jewish historian Josephus adds a little bit 
to this story. He was a contemporary of the New Testament times, and he writes from a Jewish perspective on this history of the early church at times. It says, this was a festival honoring Claudius Caesar, and that the king, Herod, wore a beautiful silver garment in honor of the occasion. We do not know what Herod said in his oration, but we know why he said it. He wanted to impress the people, and he did. And they played on his ego and told him he was a god, and he loved every minute. Every minute of it. And except he, the, the people says, a voice of a God and not a man. A voice of a God and not a man. And he's just up there with this silver garment catching the sun's light and shining. And he was basking in all the glory. And all of a sudden, boom, an angel struck him. Probably the same angel that kicked Peter was the same angel that struck King Herod for his pride and his arrogance. I think that there's some lessons that we can learn from this passage of Scripture. I think the first lesson is the people were guilty of political idolatry. Political loyalty sometimes is built on what the government can give to me. It's still around. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. I'll be loyal to you because they pass out uh, the most benefits. The arrogance of those in power is still around as well. It's another lesson here. Herod's pride and arrogance was judged. You know, he reminds me of another king. Way back in the book of Daniel, the early chapters, the, the king's name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful leader, a powerful dictator. What he did, what he accomplished for his country was amazing. And one day he was up on the wall his wall of his palace. He was standing up there walking along the wall and looking at all of the kingdom, all of the city that he had, that he had accomplished. And he said, is not this great Babylon which I have built? And he took pride in that. And all of a sudden, God struck him. God took him down. And he was struck with madness and became like a wild animal for seven years years. God struck him with madness. God did restore him later on. But you know, I tell you, Herod was struck with intestinal problems and God took him out. I tell you, beware of pride, my friend. Beware of saying, look what I have accomplished. You couldn't do anything without the power of God working you, giving you strength and giving you intelligence. You need to acknowledge that because God is the ultimate judge. There's another lesson here. The church saw the progress of the gospel message in verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Somehow we think just because the government and, and political parties have changed, oh me, what's going to happen to me? You know, just because the country is cracking down on things, sometimes we, we, we say, oh my, what is going to happen? I think, you know, we, we just might as well get in our house and close in the doors. And uh, No, 
The word of God grew and multiplied even under the political power structure of Herod. Even under persecution where the devil was doing his best, God was still working in people's hearts. The church is not dead. The church is never going to go away. Jesus says, the gates of hell cannot prevail against God's church. We're on the winning side, folks. You read the back of the book. Jesus wins in the end. We don't have to despair at all because we can grow no matter what is happening around us. Take heart, church of Jesus Christ, the power of prayer. We should depend on those words, but prayer. Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made by the church. Barb Pipkin was on a ventilator, but prayer was made by the church for her. And she's off of the ventilator. She's going to come back. She's going to be blessed. You put in whatever. Your children are going astray, but prayer was made. I was physically hurt, but God healed me. Another application I think we'd like to make in, at the end of this We can sleep in any prison when we know the one who holds the keys. We can sleep in any prison that you're going through and have that peace of God overwhelm you so much that you are just resting it all in the hands of the one who holds the keys. Another thing that I think we can learn from Herod and all the political machinations and the applications for our time, we should bow before no throne except the throne of God's amazing grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this passage of scripture and the lessons that we as your people can learn. Help us, Father, not to despair Help us not to be overwhelmed by the circumstances of our life and our country because the Word of God can grow and expand in any situation. And we are your children and you're our Father. And we come before your throne and pray that you would help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we close.